was on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and he said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of a human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. This is God's word. Morning all. Uh, My name's Scott. I'm the assistant minister uh, here. Uh, You join us in the third of four weeks uh, looking at the early chapters of Genesis and the story of Noah, um, a famous story, but I think, I hope, uh, we're seeing fresh things in it. Uh, Let's pray together as we turn uh, to this passage. Father, we praise you that you do speak to us, and we pray that you would speak to us now, that you would change us by your Spirit, that we would be different um, as a result uh, of hearing your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Why is life as a believer not better than it is? Why is, why is life as a Christian hard? Um, as if you're someone who has been saved from judgment, uh, God's judgment, and brought into his salvation, why, why do things not go smoothly uh, in life? Why is sin uh, such a battle? Um, why is joy uh, such a struggle? Why is life uh, so hard? Why does it sometimes uh, get to the point where we feel like God's forgotten us and abandoned us uh, completely? The answer that the Bible gives is that we are still waiting for the fulfillment of all of God's promises. We are saved from judgment in Christ, but we're not yet in the new creation. And the waiting, the in-between, can be hard. And we've seen over these past weeks, haven't we, as we've looked at the flood account, and that the flood is a picture for us of the salvation that Christ wins. As Noah and those who are rescued with him uh, are saved from God's judgment, um, so too we are saved from God's judgment in Jesus. And in the passage uh, this morning, we see how they enter the renewed creation. But in the meantime... In the, in the first half of the chapter, uh, they wait. Um, it took us, what, two minutes to read it? Um, but it was about seven months of floating around uh, the, the barren earth uh, in the ark. Seven months. Um, and that, I think, is a picture for us of the Christian life at now. Um, for those who have been saved from judgment and await the new creation, uh, we wait. We wait now. Um, I don't know how you feel about flying. I don't know if you're a, a, a fan of flying. I'm not a fan at all. Um, in fact, I, I really don't enjoy it. Um, I mean, I enjoy that it can take me somewhere, but the actual process of stepping on a plane and, um, and flying on somewhere just feels, I mean, well, it is. It's completely unnatural, isn't it? It's strange being cooped up. Um, the whole time during a flight, it used to be worse, but the whole time during a flight, I often think, what would happen if this plane fell out of the sky now? What would happen if it fell out of the sky now? Um, as, as you're coming into land, um, as other people are sort of, you know, looking forward to their holiday or getting home, I'm thinking, yeah, I would still, if I hit the ground from here, yeah, I would still die. And, and just as you sort of land, I sometimes think, I might be able to survive just, you know, about 
if it fell out the sky from here. I'm not a fan of flying. Um, and one of the most annoying things about getting a flight um, is that, that, that you land on the runway, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm safe. I am back on firm ground, uh, no more of this stuck in the air. And yet then, depending on the airport, you, you've got to taxi uh, to the terminal, don't you? And you're sort of sitting there, and it's chugging along uh, very slowly. And, and it's hard to wait. You just want to get uh, to where you're going. Uh, you're ready to be out of that stuffy air into the fresh air. And yet you've got to wait. Uh, and the waiting can be hard, can't it? And remember what we've seen so far in uh, these early chapters of Genesis. We've seen God's devastating judgment against human wickedness. We've seen God promise that he will wipe out all life from the earth. And we've seen him fulfill that promise as the relentless waters have come and the relentless judgment of God. Um, it's, it's been pretty hard to hear, hasn't it? Um, over these past couple of weeks, if you've been here both weeks, it's been two weeks of pretty relentless uh, judgment as we've looked at these chapters. Um, it it, it kind of it hits you here in the stomach, doesn't it? it just, it's just hard uh, to think uh, so long about the seriousness of sin, um, about the seriousness of God's judgment uh, on that sin. Um, we, we must think about it, mustn't we? That's, that's why we've looked at it for these weeks. We must understand uh, the seriousness of God's judgment if we're to understand uh, the glory of his rescue. Because if, if the flood story is a, a story of, of God's judgment, it is also a story of his extraordinary grace uh, to humankind. That's where we get uh, this morning, isn't it? wonder, did you notice the change? As we reach 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, uh, we come to the major turning point uh, in the whole narrative where the focus switches from being all about God's judgment uh, to his renewed uh, creation. Let me read from uh, chapter 7, verse 22, so we, get, we feel the impact of that a little bit more. 7, 22. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that moved along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Where there had once only been the relentless rising of the waters, now the waters begin to recede. And we get it three times in the opening verses of chapter 8. The waters receded. And with the receding waters, God's judgment has finished. The tension of the story eases. God's judgment is complete. And we no longer focus on God's judgment, but on his salvation of those who are his. But the first thing uh, we're going to note uh, this morning is that the new start, this new creation, is provided by the God who remembers. That's how our passage started, isn't it? But God remembered Noah. See, the move from judgment to grace is all of God's doing. As God remembers Noah and those who are in the ark with him, uh, he remembers. He remembers his promise to Noah. And what, is, what does it mean that God remembers? Um, is it that God had forgotten 
Uh, like we might uh, forget that we've put a cake in the oven uh, and suddenly remember, oh, I've left the cake in the oven. Or we suddenly remember that we should have picked the kids up from nursery two hours ago. Whoops, forgot. Um, it's, it's not that sort of remembering. It's not that God somehow forgot that Noah was floating around there in the ark. And um, When God remembers, it is him acting on his commitment to Noah. God had made a promise to Noah to preserve him and to save him. And so God acts now to do that. God has saved Noah from the flood, but he doesn't just leave Noah to it. He doesn't just let him float around uh, on that ark endlessly. He will use Noah to begin this new creation. But in the meantime, there's this period of waiting, the seven months uh, where Noah must wait uh, between verse one, God remembers Noah, and the end of the chapter where they finally come out of the ark, seven months. God, if you think about it, God could have dried up the land in a moment, couldn't he? Um, he's God. He's in charge of whole creation. He could have just taken the water away, spoke uh, like he did at creation, and, and the water separates from the dry ground. But he doesn't. I think that's strange. And the, the brave new world that God is going to create is coming. Why doesn't he just get on with it? Why this, this period of waiting before they get back on dry land? And and if you were one of those on the ark, you must have thought, there must have been moments where you thought, has God forgotten us? Has he just cast us adrift to let us float? Am I going to be here on this noisy, smelly, cramped ark forever? And so much for his grand salvation plan, and this doesn't seem much of a life But even during that time of waiting, God is at work. He is working for their good. And more than that, he is working to renew the very creation itself, isn't he? As you go through chapter 8, it's like a little mini Genesis 1. It's a recasting of Genesis 1. God sends a wind over the earth, just as there was a wind over the earth in chapter 1. He separates out the dry land from the waters, just as he had in Genesis 1. Um, he sends, as Noah sends the birds out and then the animals, it is creation all over again. It is like a new Eden, and the anticipation and the relief of a new creation. Um, if you've ever had a, a difficult experience at work, uh, perhaps a, a boss that just gets at you every day, um, and then maybe you've changed jobs and that relief uh, as that pressure is lifted As the night before, you're not sitting up worrying about what the boss will say the next day, how that will feel. Or maybe maybe you've had the experience of living somewhere that's just a bit of a dive. Um, You know, it's got lots of issues. It's got mold in the walls. It's got damp carpets. The paint's peeling. Um, It's just not a nice place to live. The neighbors are noisy and unfriendly. And the joy and the relief of a move to somewhere new, somewhere that's been looked after, somewhere that's been freshly painted, somewhere where the neighbors are nice. There is a relief and a joy in a new start. And those in the ark, they are heading for that new start. They are heading for that new creation. And yet, for now, for a while, they wait. And there are are parallels to our experience as Christians. Um, If if you're trusting in Jesus, we saw last week, you're, you're on the ark, so to speak. And God's judgment has fallen on his son, and it will not fall on you. And it is finished. 
You've been saved to be a part of God's new creation. And yet, for now, you wait. You do not experience the full reality of all that God has promised. And that will not always be an easy place to be, will it? Nowhere in the Bible does God promise us an easy life as Christians. And so even in Christ, even as a believer, life will be hard. Um, Our health will fail, both physical, emotional. Family life, friendships um, will be difficult as sinners rub up against one another. The world will think we're crazy uh, for following Jesus, for trusting in him. And it is easy uh, in those moments when when life just feels like that, to feel like God has forgotten you. Here's, here's one lesson that the New Testament draws for us um, from the story of the flood. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, I think the verse will be on the screen. Uh, 2 Peter says this, If God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the, un- the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. See, the link that 2 Peter there is drawing is that God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He says that is what the, the, the story of the flood teaches us. God doesn't promise that everything will be sorted in this life, but he does promise that he will rescue those who are his. Even if that means waiting for the new creation And so the flood then is a picture of life, the Christian life, in a world that is under judgment. And so if you are feeling that life in Christ is just hard, it's just a struggle, then know that God will not abandon you. God has not forgotten you. And even when you face the worst of situations, God remembers that you are his. He is acting on his commitment to you. He will bring you safely through. And it may be a long and a difficult road, but he will get you to the dry ground. The new creation is coming. And as we wait for it, we long for it. We long for that day when the ark will make landfall and the earth will be dried and God will open the door of the ark. God will get you there because he will remember you. He remembers those who are his. But how can we be so sure that God will get us to his new creation? Um, What if we mess up along the way? What if we make a mistake? What if we're just not good enough? That brings us to the second thing that we see in, in our passage this morning. We see the one who leads God's new creation. The one who leads God's new creation We've noted already in in the narrative, haven't we, that we don't get a whole lot about Noah. We're not told a great deal about him, but we are told just enough. Um, He's almost portrayed in the story as as the perfect man. Uh, We were told a few weeks ago, weren't we, that he is righteous, blameless, and that he walked faithfully with God. He did all that God had commanded him. Um, 
Noah, in many ways, is the leader of the new creation. Uh, He is the new Adam. Just as Adam was the the leader of the, the first creation, so Noah is the leader of this renewed creation post-flood. How does that work? Well, Adam was given the task, wasn't he, of caring for creation. But because of Adam's sin, creation was cursed. In a similar way, Noah is given the task of preserving uh, life, preserving creation in miniature. And he does it. Um, Look at verse 9 of chapter 8, verse 9. In a narrative that's pretty fast-paced, we're going through months at a time in in only a few verses, in verse 9, we slow right down, and we get this little interaction between Noah and a dove. It's a bit strange, but let's look at it. Verse 9. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. We don't want to make too much of this, but there is a level of detail there that shows that Noah was caring for God's creation. The creation that had been entrusted to him just as it had been entrusted to Adam. Noah is the new Adam. Um, As well as caring for creation, Noah obeys where Adam failed to obey. Um, Look at verse 16. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out. Where Adam had failed to obey God, um, Noah awaits God's instruction and obeys. When God says, now is the time uh, to open the door and come out of the ark, Noah obeys. Why does it matter that Noah is like a new Adam? Um, Last week, we had a bit of a think about how Noah is an example of faith to us. And that's part of what the New Testament teaches us about Noah. Um, Trust and obey just as Noah did. Um, That's good and right. But there is more to say about Noah. Um, He's portrayed so positively uh, in the narrative to this point. He is almost the perfect man. And we're thinking, if we've got our Genesis hats on, is he the seed of the woman that was promised in Genesis 3? Is he the one who will crush the serpent's head and lead uh, the new creation in glory? And we'll see next week uh, that Noah isn't actually the perfect man at all. Uh, He's flawed. And so for now, we can say that Noah points us forward to the perfect man, uh, to Christ. See, just as Noah obeyed everything that God commands him, uh, so Jesus obeys his father perfectly in all things. And just as through Noah's obedience, uh, creation was saved, uh, so uh, through Christ, uh, all who come to him uh, will be saved. Noah is the new Adam leading God's renewed creation. Christ is the true Adam, the true Noah, who will lead God's new creation. And so we can be confident uh, if we are in Christ. We can have a confidence that he will see us uh, through to that new creation. He will get us there. 
Um, I've already told you, haven't I, that I'm not much of a fan of flying. Um, So imagine my horror on a flight to uh, Morocco uh, when I was a student. Uh, I was there with some friends. Um, I'll not tell you which airline it was, but it um, it was the blue and yellow one that you only fly with if you're absolutely desperate. Okay, wait, I'll, I, you know, not saying any more than that, but it was that one. And there we are cruising at um, 30,000 feet or whatever we were. Everyone's having a lovely time. Well, as, as much of a lovely time as you can have on Ryanair, sorry. Um, <clears throat> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm running through my head. If, you know, if the, if the plane fell from here, I'd, I'd definitely be, you know, we'd burn up. We'd definitely be dead. Um, and then over the tannoy comes the, the pilot. And he goes, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm afraid we have a fault with the plane. You kind of think, sorry, what, why? why? I, I can't, can't understand a word this pilot is saying. Um, what did he say? Well, he said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's no need to be alarmed, but I'm afraid we have a fault with one of the engines. Uh, we're going to have to alter our course and make an emergency landing in Spain. Now, um, I, I had known this would happen all along, actually. Um, <laughs> Uh, everyone else on the on the on the plane was was shocked by it, um, but it was it was a frightening experience. And there we are, sat on this little plane at thirty thousand feet, and and there's a there's a problem. What do you do? What can you do? Well, very little actually. Um, you have to sit there and entrust uh, your life into the hands of of this pilot who can't even speak in an articulate manner. Um, your life is in. Uh, another's hands but you know long story short we we did make the emergency landing it wasn't actually that dramatic um, after all but the pilot did get us safely uh, to ground see the pilot knows what he's doing and so he's able to get us there safely and he did how could those on the ark uh, be sure that they would reach uh, God's renewed creation well because they were with Noah How can we be sure that we'll reach God's new creation? Because we're with Jesus. Even when the time of waiting feels almost more than we can bear, he knows what he's doing and he will get us there safely. And we may feel like we're going up and down uh, every day, good days, bad days, days where, yes, I'm, I'm safe in Christ, days when I just don't feel it. He will get us there safely. Our confidence doesn't come from how I'm feeling uh, or from how I feel like I'm doing, our abilities, our efforts, uh, our desire to fight sin or to repent. Our confidence comes from the fact that we have entrusted our lives to a perfect man, to the one who knows what he's doing and will lead us home. That's what Noah's family and those animals experience as Noah leads them to the new creation. They experience that relief and joy that come from knowing they are safe because of another. And that brings us on uh, finally to our third, uh, our third point, the sacrifice that ensures life. If you had been on those ark um, all those months, and you finally uh, step foot back on solid ground, what, what would you have done? What would be the first thing that uh, you would do? Um, maybe you would uh, throw a big party uh, for everyone. Um, maybe you would find a, a grassy slope uh, to roll down. 
Maybe you would, you would just get as far away from possible as possible from everyone else, uh, from these people and animals that you'd spent all this time with. Just go and find a quiet space. First thing Noah does um, is slightly strange, isn't it? In verse 20, he builds an altar. And he takes some of the animals that he spent all this time preserving and he sacrifices them. Strange thing to do. And of course, God had made provision for these sacrifices way back when. He'd, he'd provided seven pairs of, of clean animals, uh, presumably for these sacrifices. But it's still a bit odd. And even more strange, probably to our ears, is, is God's response uh, to those sacrifices. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Noah offers a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. So pleasing, in fact, that we're told that where once God's heart was deeply troubled by human wickedness. Now he promises never uh, to curse the ground because of humans. It's an extraordinary promise, uh, particularly uh, when you consider that humanity has not been changed uh, by the flood. God is starting again uh, with Noah and his family, but the underlying problem is there still. Do you notice that in, the verse, in verse 21? Every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Very similar to the way human wickedness is described in, in chapter 6, if you remember that. Every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And yet, God promises to preserve the earth in spite of human wickedness. And that introduces a, a bit of a tension, doesn't it, into the Bible's story. God is the same just and holy God that he was back in Genesis 6 when he promised to destroy the world. Human sin remains just as it did before the flood. He punished sin once by sending a flood, but now he's promised not to do that. Why, if we can put it this way, are there not daily floods why is the earth not inundated all the time because of human sin? Well, the answer that Genesis 8 gives us, perhaps rather surprisingly, is because Noah offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Now, throughout the whole Old Testament, we're not really fully shown how that tension remains. How is it that a sacrifice can turn away God's judgment? That tension um, is resolved only with the coming of Jesus, isn't it? Only at the cross is that tension resolved where God's mercy and his justice meet. The cross shows us why God can be merciful and still judge human sin. Because his own son has offered the perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Here's how Ephesians 5 puts it. It encourages us to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. The sacrifice which Jesus offered pleased God, and so God promises eternal life to all who trust in Christ. And so for us now, no matter how difficult uh, life feels, no matter how difficult life gets, if you are in Christ, God will keep you. Because Christ has offered himself as a fragrant offering on your behalf. He will keep you, not because you've turned over a new leaf, uh, not because uh, you make a positive contribution, but because you are in Christ And we're about to share the Lord's Supper uh, together. And the Lord's Supper, among many things, is a wonderful picture of the reality that Genesis 8 points us to. If you are trusting in Christ, his sacrifice has paid for your sins. So you are not destroyed by God's judgment. No, instead you are welcomed into his family and given a seat at his table. It is given to us that we might remember that by ourselves, we face God's judgment alone. But in Christ, a sacrifice has been offered that ensures our eternal life. Our place in God's new, renewed creation. Jesus will get us safely there. And as we wait for the full reality of it, the Lord's Supper is also a picture Um, That he has remembered us. That he will graciously give us everything we need to keep us going. And that one day uh, we will join him at the eternal banquet. So as we we prepare um, to share the Lord's Supper together, uh, let me lead us uh, in a prayer. Our gracious Father, you know the struggles that we face as we wait for Jesus to return. Thank you that Genesis 8 shows us that you will not forget us. You will bring about our full salvation because of what Christ has done for us. As we remember at that once for all sacrifice, give us a deep sense of our assurance, our security and our salvation in Christ. In his name and for his glory we pray. Amen.